Welcome to Mad Lit Musings, a podcast with Jamie Jill Wright, where we go deeper and ask the tough and dangerous questions. Today's episode is sponsored by Ravel and Bethany House Publishers, which are divisions of Baker Publishing Group. Find out more at bakerpublishinggroup.com. Hey everyone, it is Jamie Jill Wright here at Madlet Musings, and today I have a special guest and good friend with me, Amanda Dykes. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Jamie. Hi, everybody. So happy to be here with you. It's so fun to have a fellow Bethany House author on the show, and um, you are quite a popular one. I'll well, I didn't that. know about that, but I feel like I'm getting to hang out with the very cool crowd today, getting to be here with you. <laughs> Yeah, I did all my fangirling before I ever, you know, hit the play button because I was like, oh. I do. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of funny when, you know, you start being called, you know, like, I don't know, an it author or or something. And maybe it has to do with the fact that we've both won Christie Awards, but it doesn't feel that way. Like, I still feel no. like this little farm girl from Wisconsin meeting these big time oh, important yeah, people. Yes. And I have, yeah. I have many, if you want to talk about that, I have thoughts yeah, about go for that. it. Just like, we don't have to dive right in. It's kind of diving into the deep end, but just, you know, oh, it's thought, you and me, we always dive into the deep end. Just go. Know, yeah. Just go. Well, I just think, you know, sometimes as authors, we have one of the things that we can take on as far as like pressures that we carry or expectations to live up to. We can think like, I have to live up to, you know, this award that I happened to be lucky enough to win or right. I, to, I, you know, people are expecting me to be the next whoever, or I want to be the next whoever. And I just, I think there's so much in that, that we can just cut those ties and be absolutely free of them because there is no next whoever. Oh. There's only one, you know, there's only right. one insert any name you want. There's only one Frank Peretti. There's only one Francine Rivers. There's only mm-hmm. one Jamie Jo Wright. Like that is on purpose and it's beautiful. And it frees every single one of us up to just step into who God made us uniquely to be. Right. And know that there's no such thing as the next fill in the blank. And there's no such thing as a has been because anywhere you are on your journey, there's so much purpose in it. And I oh, just, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. anyway, these are the the thoughts that I toss around my head sometimes. And so there yeah. you go. We dove straight into the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love diving straight into the deep end. And really, if we want to bring an element of reality to the people who can't see us right now while they're listening, I yeah. am in my pajamas. So oh, yeah, let's I've just got my be real. Pop knot bun here, and I just yeah, <laughs> it's just everyday life. I came from just, you know, driving yeah. the commute to school. <laughs> right, we're just hanging out, right? Yeah. Oh, fun. But we are here to talk a little bit too about your new book that's coming out, "All the Lost Places." which yes. is set in Venice. So lots to talk about there, but give us a quick, just like a rundown, because I know we'll talk yeah. a little bit about it, then we'll probably get into deeper okay. random conversation. So sure. So this book was interesting in the way that it came to me. I just kind of like had this, like not a, a vision. I don't want to sound like all mystical or anything. It was just like this glimpse of an imagining. And I could just see like a basket floating in the waters. You kind of could picture like Moses, baby Moses in his basket because mm-hmm. there was a baby in this basket that I was picturing but instead of being like among the reeds on a river like Moses it was in these like dark canal waters of Venice so I just had this imagining it was like what is the story there <laughs> and so I started to um I've always been fascinated with Venice I mean 
who wouldn't be fascinated with a floating city? Like it's just yeah. so it is like a living fairy tale. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just started to research the various stages of history and um so many chapters of its history are so different from one another mm-hmm. and we often think Venice and we think like masquerade and carnival and but there's actually a really pretty lengthy stretch of time when there was none of that in mm-hmm. the 1800s um because it was when Napoleon was trying to conquer the world and one of the places that he you know was among his conquerings was Venice and after he kind of came in there. Venice changed hands a bunch of times between the French and and the Italians and the Austrians. And Mm -hmm. um, throughout all that, there were different times of occupation and different times of masquerade was outlawed. And um, so this whole stretch of the 1800s is almost kind of like dark and silent in Venice's history, as opposed to this extremely colorful, like medieval history we tend to think of. And so I thought that would be a really interesting place to set a story. And there's really not a lot that's been set there in that particular time in Venice. Right. Right. No, I was going to mention that because there's, I mean, you look it up and there's not even a lot of historical Venice fiction. There's a lot of contemporary romance and things that are set in those types of scenarios, but yeah, I'm really anxious to read it myself. So, oh, thank you. Well, it's it was funny. It ended up when I first turned it in. I think it was the shortest book I'd ever turned in, and when it was all said and done with the edits, it's the longest book I've ever published. Oh, so, funny! <laughs> so funny how that happens. There was a lot of rewriting that took place, and a lot of yeah. opportunity to flesh things out. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that was a funny twist in its own story. Yeah, that's always my favorite part, though, of the book process. I, I know I'm a little weird, but the first draft is like pulling teeth. And oh, then that, that next edit, when you can just really polish and just yeah. dream and really, like you said, flesh out the story. It just yeah. is so much fun. It's so much I fun. I love that part too. And I really mm-hmm. love like the final stages of, stages of edits where you truly can't make a lot of structural changes because, mm-hmm. you know, of the page allotment and the technical side of things, but you can really have some fun with just like the the toppings that you're sprinkling yes. on, like like yes. the colorful sprinkles on an ice cream sundae or something. And that is one of my very favorite stages. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's super, super neat. Well, I'm excited to read this one too, because I've actually been to Venice oh my and goodness. it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. And I still have, and I need to find the audio file because I still have an audio file that I did. It was okay. This, this will age me. But I went to Venice in, what was it, 2007? Okay. Yes. So I had my little MP3 player, right? This is- Oh, nice. Yeah. Pre pre all oh, the I, easy well, I things. I still have an MP3 player. You're yeah, talking right? to the right person here. Okay. Okay. So I have this audio file and the bells at St. Mark's oh my gosh. just went off. And I was oh sitting goodness. on the steps of St. Mark's in the courtyard in Venice. And yeah. I was all alone, surrounded by a lot of people, but I was all alone. And there wow. were birds. I mean, it was just that birds, pigeons flying and oh the bells were going off and I hit record. Cause I'm like, I don't have a video wow. camera, nothing. Yeah. I just want to remember. And it's the most beautiful bells. And it just wow. rang all through Venice and it felt oh, like it just reflected off the water. So when I saw your book come out, I'm like, Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yes. Oh, I can't you'll, wait. Be, you'll be interested to see right off the bat in the prologue. It talks about the bells of St. Mark's. Um, oh, because during this obscure time of history in Venice, actually towards the end of it, so early 1900s, that tower fell 
like it collapsed yes. mm -hmm. and all the bells broke except for one um and so that plays kind of an important role in the story there's something to do with oh. the ringer of the bell which is gigantic like mm -hmm. huge Mm -hmm. and um, having to get it through the canals someplace. So that's, I won't give away too many um, details about that, but that was interesting to me to learn that. That is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And they've since rebuilt it. They rebuilt it right away. Um, mm -hmm. They call it as it was, where it was. And the Venetian is oh. like Comera Dovera. Okay. And I might, I might be getting the phrase wrong, but that phrase was uh, really important to them you know let's rebuild it let's rebuild it as it was where it was and they've done it with other things since then like the Fenice theater which caught fire um oh, in the early okay. 2000s that okay. was their phrase for that too let's rebuild it and that's what they do oh, you know let's so just cool. rebuild it this yep. is part of our life here and let's yep. make it as good or better than it was that's so, so cool. um, pretty inspiring yeah yeah yeah. I will I will say I learned something in Venice that I I didn't know about Italy. And it's a story my sister-in-law and I tell all the time because we think it's so funny. But we had gone to dinner at this little um cafe right off of St. Mark's. Uh-huh. And we had our nice little bowls of lasagna and pasta. And yeah. I had to go to the bathroom. And this was our first night in Italy. So we had come from uh -huh. Austria and we're in Italy, right? Yeah. So the way they don't, and and this cafe was like authentic, like they did not speak English at all. Wow. So I went, I said to our waiter, I said, um, where's the restroom? And I was, no, no. <laughs> like, okay. So then I'm like the water closet. No, no. And I went through every European term for bathroom yeah. to the point, like I was, it was turning into an emergency situation. Oh, and no. my sister-in-law <laughs> is like going through her guidebook, trying to find the word for bathroom yeah. or restroom and finally in desperation I looked at him and I went donde esta el baño <laughs> in Spanish and he goes oh, si, si, oh my goodness <laughs> and he rushes me down the hallway to this bathroom so funny and my sister and I she's like what made you speak Spanish and I'm like well it sounds like Italian so it does they, know do. it. they share they share yes. a lot of Yes. commonalities <laughs> but even he was laughing so even with the language barrier he was laughing because here's I'm English he's Venetian or Italian or whatever yeah and we're speaking Spanish to communicate that's so funny yes <laughs> wow that's pretty oh. cool though I love languages so that kind of stuff yeah. fascinates me yeah it was it was pretty funny and that's about all the Spanish I know you know I did that's say important. That's, that's an important yeah. phrase to know and look yeah. it saved it you is. It saved, yeah. oh yeah, it saved a lot of people. <laughs> a completely different dining experience so would have transpired, but. Those oh. are the best um, souvenirs are stories, you know, yes. stories you get oh, to I share know. with people. I yeah. know, it's so much fun. So, so those Very are the good. memories that make this book really exciting for me. I'm excited to go back to Venice and, oh, good. and read That's all about so it. But I know you, Amanda, and I know you well enough to know that this is not just a story, but that there's probably some deep, deep thought that went into this book. So let's go there. Tell me okay. about some of the deeper things. Sure. Well, I, as I said, I overthink things. So, um, <laughs> sometimes like very much to a fault. So, um, I think probably people will pull different things from this mm -hmm. book, depending on their own experience. Um, but one thing, so I had a, we had a review come in last week on it that just really, touched me because you never know, you never know, right. as you know, as an author, yeah. like 
sometimes you're very surprised with what a reader will pull out of your story. And I actually think that's part of the magic of it. Yeah. You know, that it's not all up to us because God will take, it's like this equation and I'm not good at math, but there's some kind of magic to this like story equation that God does where he invites us to be a part of creating whatever the story is that he's put on our hearts. And I know that he always is growing us in the midst of it too. And that for sure was the fact um, that was the case with this story. And then when it's all said and done and it's out there in the world, these readers who are amazing and have their own unique stories open up this book and they're reading it through their own lens of their life and their experience and their struggles and their victories. And that's where this completely unknown thing happens that you just, there's no way you could plan for. And I think it's amazing. So anyway, all that to say last week, a review came in um, and it was from um, a woman named Laura and here, I'll just read you an excerpt from it because I will butcher it if I try to (laughs) summarize it. She said, this book encouraged me so much. It helped me realize that even in my broken places, God can rebuild something new. It was exciting to know that someone like me who has an incurable disease that almost killed me last year could still be used by God for something else. My story is not finished yet. And I would like to thank Amanda Dykes for reminding me of that. And then she goes on, but, um, Mm -hmm. that, that phrase that she wove in there of my story is not finished yet. Mm -hmm. That is, um, a case where what I was learning as I wrote this and what kind of my hopes were for the characters and the story um, did resonate with the reader's experience. Um, and it is very much about, you can even see in the, in the title, all the lost places. You know, mm-hmm. we have these experiences in our lives that seem to rob us of something or the road doesn't unfold as we thought it was going to. And we can feel like those are lost places and we can feel like well, what happens with the last place? How do we process that? Is it a wasted thing? Is it like a, is it just like a, a ruins, like a, you know, shrapnel on a battlefield or right, what are right. these places in our lives? And what the characters discover and, and what I've kind of discovered personally in writing it is no, you know, we have a God who, for whom nothing is irredeemable. Like mm. he can take anything. The Bible says he will give beauty for ashes and we look at ashes and we just see a heap of, of waste and it makes us feel sad. (laughs) It makes us feel like that's the end of that Mm -hmm. story. That's what do you do with the pile of ashes? And he looks at it and goes, that is a treasure trove. Now let's Mm. get to work and let's see what I'm going to do. And, um, so that's kind of, that's kind of the, the theme that I hoped for when I was writing it and, um, in the middle of writing it, I just due to some like health crisis, crises, crises, <laughs> crises <laughs> along the way, um, I was having a lot of trouble. I was having a lot of trouble thinking, a lot of brain fog, and um, it was all tied to like an autoimmune condition. It turned out that I didn't realize I had at the at the time. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, and I just thought I can't, I can't like this story is too big for me. Mm-hmm. And I always have a moment with every story where I feel yeah. like that. Yeah. And I kind of feel like that's good. With, like we should feel like that because we need to realize it probably is too big for us. And that's why God is meeting us there and doing something way more than we could ever plan right. with it. And um, funny enough, 
one of the characters, uh, his name is Daniel. He loses the ability to do something that he's always thought was kind of integral to who he was. Okay. He loses the ability really to imagine. Um, and that's, that's an actual condition um, where you can be someone who is able to close your eyes and picture things. And um, then perhaps due to like a, like a traumatic injury or head trauma or something like that, you can become um, unable to do that where you close your oh, eyes wow. and you can say like, okay, someone could say to you, picture the sun. Well, you can know what the sun is. You can know, you could know that it feels warm and it looks yellow, but you can't picture it. All you see is just like a blank. Wow. Um, and so now we have a word for it now. It's called aphantasia, but back then they didn't have a word for it, although okay. it was a reality back then. So I had this arc all planned out for this character. Meanwhile, I figure out I can't even think anymore. <laughs> like I can't, I can't write. I would try and think of a word and I oh, know, no. would know the word and I couldn't find it and be like a simple word. And I thought, well, I can't write this character this way. How am I going to, how can mm -hmm. I do it? I just can't mm -hmm. even, I couldn't figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. And long story short, um, I did end up writing him that way. Things have really improved as I kind of figured out what was going on health wise. Um, but I ended up struggling personally with a lot of these things that this character I had planned for him to struggle with. I was like, I'm not supposed to be struggling with this. The character is what's going right. on. Here? <laughs> suddenly his struggle was my struggle. And I think that that was good in a way. I don't want to sound yeah. like a glutton for punishment or anything, but it no. allowed me to go there and really kind of pour my own heart into the story of these questions that he's facing. Like, who am I if I cannot right. do what I've always done? What can I even offer to people? And that just humbling and overwhelming realization of like, God doesn't love us because of what we can do. You know, mm. he, he loves us because of his, his love is extravagant and good. And he wants to give it and lavish right. it upon us. Right. And it's, it's not earned. It's unconditional. And so I learned that was like head knowledge before and heart knowledge, but it kind of went to a deeper level of heart knowledge for me, um, through that process. And I was very grateful just for the chance to, to learn that and be humbled in it, but also just embraced in it by that yeah. overwhelming love. So that is a very long answer to your question. No, I love it. I love long answers. They're great. They're great. Um, so I want to move into another question, but let's take a quick break sure. and let okay. everybody just chew on what you just said while we take a break. Sounds good. Are you enjoying today's broadcast with our featured author? You can find out more about them and other authors from Baker Publishing Group at bakerbookhouse.com. Use code MADLIT40 for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title at bakerbookhouse.com. This also includes Ravel and Bethany House Publishing. Go over fast. It's MADLIT40. That's your magic code for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title. All right, we are back here at Madlet Musings with Amanda Dykes, and we've been talking about God bringing beauty from ashes and being able to redeem the lost places. And I was thinking, as you said that, Amanda, um, this, this is a horrible, horrible illustration, but my husband and I, we have an outside wood burner, and so we heat our house with outside wood. Oh, and nice. 
look at these huge piles of ashes that have to be cleaned yes. out. And I thought my husband just threw them into the woods when we first started doing this. And because we live in the woods, I'm like, oh, I just throw them in the woods yeah. or something because it's natural, yeah. you know, right? Sure. And then I come home from work one day and our driveway, which is about almost a quarter of a mile long because we live back in the woods, is covered in black. And I'm like, what wow. is this? And when I got home, I'm like, what is all over the driveway? And he goes, well, it's the ashes. And I said, why did you put them on the driveway? And he goes, because the driveway is coated in ice. Oh, and wow. we're going to get in an accident going down the driveway or someone's going to slip wow. and fall trying to get the, the, the mail. He said, yeah. so you can use ashes because it's a natural resource. Oh my God. And it gives you the traction that you need to save you from falling. That's amazing. And I was thinking as you were talking about that, like, how ashes they do seem like garbage yeah but yet sometimes it's the ashes that God uses to save us to save a life yeah and it it never dawned on me and so now whenever I see the ashes in the driveway I'm like oh yeah good I can walk and get the mail without that is beautiful that is really beautiful so that that just went through my mind as you were talking about ashes yes I need to share that (laughs) that's really beautiful I'm gonna remember that forever Tell your husband. <laughs> I will. <laughs> You've made an impression by throwing ashes on our driveway. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> That's really something. Just I love the stories that God God's creation tells. It's, oh, it is. Creation yeah. really does pour forth speech and right. even in the ashes. Right. Well, yeah. I love the concept that you bring out about lost places. So do your characters go through? I mean, obviously you mentioned Daniel who loses his ability to imagine, which okay that just crushes me knowing that's even a thing I know yeah I have another thing to have anxiety over (laughs) (laughs) don't worry he finds good purpose okay Okay, he finds a way through there's a happy ending (laughs) so the lost places do they is this inspired by a historical event or just a story that came to your mind or how Um, the lost places fit in yes and no to to historical events venice is you know that phrase truth is stranger than fiction Mm -hmm. it is like that phrase is amplified in venice like it when you hear just the history of the place where it even came from how they built it these secret societies they had like secrets are a very big deal very much a part of venetian history and culture Mm -hmm. And it really is like stranger than any even fairy tale you could read. So there are a lot of things in the book that are based on things that actually happened. Okay. Um, the ruler in Venice historically was called a doge. So it's it's the Venetian word for duke. Okay. Um, so you probably saw the doge's palace. It's right there in St. Mark's Square. Yes. Um, and so there was a doge at one point in history who tried to um, basically take over Venice in a way that he shouldn't. And because of that, honor is a really big deal in that culture. Um, Memory is tied to honor. And Mm -hmm. so as the ultimate punishment for this man, it wasn't just like, let's execute him. It was like, let's end his life, but also erase his memory, like the memory of him, the cultural memory of him. No one was allowed to speak his name. They, they took his portrait that was hanging in the, in the Doge's palace. And they, instead of just taking it out, 
they like swathed it with black paint to blot him out. And so it wasn't just, he's gone now. It was like, let's all remember to not remember him. And uh, so these, you'll see something like that happen or be alluded to in all the last places. And so things like that are based on historical events and they all tie into, okay, this could be considered a lost place. This whole Mm -hmm. life could be considered a lost place. Mm -hmm. Venice itself fascinates me. And I think this is what drew me to it um, to begin with is the story where it came from. Um, It's in a lagoon. And in some ways, lagoon is a fancy word for a swamp. It's in a swamp. Right. Right. And when I was researching Venice and I would talk to anybody I could who had been there to just say, you know, tell me everything you remember about Venice. Every single one of them mentioned the smell. They would say, yes, a little smelly. Um, You know, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. It's fantastical. It's a little smelly. Mm -hmm. Um, That's because it's in a swamp. And so why would you, when you think of Venice, you think of these incredible pieces of architecture and art and music and Vivaldi and all of this beauty mm-hmm. and power. It was like this powerful port, like world power, center of trade, also a center of publishing at one point, which, you know, publishing helps develop the ideas of the world. And so it's right. an extremely powerful, beautiful place. But the way it came to be was because, um, there was a time when there were these people who were basically in exile. They were being attacked. They would move, uproot their entire lives, families, try and settle somewhere different, and then they would be attacked again. And they, they would repeat the process over and over until they were just despairing. Where can we possibly go where people are not going to follow us and attack us? It was during the attacks of the Huns. So we're going way okay. back. In history. Way back. Yeah. And so they said, well, where does nobody want to go? Nobody wants to go to a swamp because a swamp is riddled with disease mm-hmm. um, and bugs and insects. And it's a marshland where how can you even live there? There's no land. You can't right. build your house on the sandy land, you know? Right. <laughs> so they went there because no one would go there. It was mm. completely undesirable place to live or even go. And they mm. thought that is our one hope. That is our one hope. So they went there and they started to build land by driving these big piles, which are basically big poles or tree trunks Mm -hmm. down into Mm -hmm. the swamp side by side until they could build on it. And that's how we got these hundreds and hundreds of islands that make up Venice that are bridged by, well, bridges. Bridges. Um, Yeah. Bridged by bridges. This is why I'm a writer. (laughs) Um, sometimes that, we're just so profound. I know, really. Let's just stop the podcast there. I can't talk. Yeah, that. I think that was great. No, you're yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that story, and you look at that swamp and, and wasteland in this place of despair, and that's how we got Venice. That's how we got this place of beauty and these palaces and bell towers and places of, as you were talking about earlier, like the the rush of wings and the ring of bells and. Mm-hmm you know, the sound of these gondolas gliding through the water and the gondoliers singing and Vivaldi again, all these beautiful Mm -hmm. things because of a place of despair and because of a place that was a swamp. And to Mm -hmm. me, that is like the epitome of a lost place and how God redeems it and makes something truly incredibly beautiful out of it. So yeah, Venice is pretty, yeah, I've got a big place in my heart for it and for its history. 
you'll need to go there because it, it will not disappoint you once you I get you. into Venice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you get into the fairy tale part of Venice, but you are right. absolutely right. It's a swamp. And so I was, I think I was telling you before the podcast started, I wasn't going to mention anything because it seems, it seems rude to talk about Venice like this, but when you <laughs> first take a train in it, that's a perfect concept is you're, you're kind yeah. of going into this wasteland Mm-hmm. nothing to look at smelly almost feels a little grimy uh-huh. and my initial impression of Venice is just like well this is a disappointment well you're not the only one um Mark Twain you know Mark Twain oh yeah Mark and, and I was, we go way he back not, he was very <laughs> vocal about it he wrote it in his okay. books um about Venice being basically a big disappointment and that's his opinion you know I'm not gonna right I, I would I would stand up to Mark Twain if I could get my gumption, he seems like a pretty, like kind of like a firebrand, you know, but, yes. um, he was very outspoken about just, he thought it was ugly. He thought it yeah. was a place of just deteriorating. And yet there's so many people who like, they see this place they don't see like a deteriorating rotting place. They see, mm-hmm. you know, this is a place full of echoes of the past and yes. a place that preserves beauty. And it really is so much in your perspective. And it so, is. It is. yeah. Yeah. And then it becomes this little jewel in the midst of a swamp. And, yeah. You know, they you call it the this. jewel, the jewel of the yeah. Adriatic. It is mm-hmm. a jewel. Yeah. It is. Maybe it hope is. to go someday. Yeah. And some of the people that live there, they just completely embody it. I mean, yeah. just in their, their personalities, but even in the evenings, oh gosh, now I'm going back to Venice in my mind, remembering. My Yay. Trip, Tell us all about it. Cross, well, crossing some of the little footbridges. Yeah. And it's nighttime and some of the old buildings, you know, they got three or four stories but they're just, they're arched windows or they're, they're yeah. windows that are, they're larger than what we have. They're, they're almost full body yeah. size. So you can wow. literally peer into, like they don't hide behind curtains. So wow. there'll be people who light candles and they'll start okay. violin music playing. And so you're walking down the streets in Venice and it's like, you've almost been invited into their wow. private homes, even though you're not in them. Yeah. And this, it's just classic and it's Italian and it's Venetian and it's beautiful. And they just, they're so proud of where they come from Yeah, and the cobblestone streets that they've got in some of the sections. And yeah, um, yeah, it's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. That's just breathtaking. Wow. I can picture it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, this has been a blast. So just a quick rundown for people who are listening. This book is called All the Lost Places. It releases December 13th. So rush out and pre-order it because I hear there's a pre-order special. There is. Baker Bookhouse. Yes. Yep. So Baker Bookhouse, um, 40% off plus free shipping. They're amazing. And pre-orders, as long as supplies last, come with um, a signed book plate it's like a full color book plate you can put inside the book and then a little gold sticker for the front that says autographed copy and a gold foil printed um bookmark with the tassel and everything that has Mm -hmm. a phrase very similar to the one from that review it says courage keep and hope beget the story is not finished yet and that's kind of that's a phrase from the book but it's kind of something that keeps popping up the story's not finished yet like keep your hope I love that yes I love that and Booklist gave you a starred review and said, this novel is introspective, surprising, and achingly beautiful. I oh, they're very generous with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Uh, well, this has been a blast. And then I'm going to throw in my own little plug here for, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going back in time, but I'm going to my favorite Amanda Dykes book, <laughs> which is Bespoke. It's a tiny Christmas tale. Oh my gosh, we are going back in time. We are going back in time, but wow. I read this book and I, I get it out every Christmas and I you read do? it every Christmas. I do. I adore. Oh that was a really fun one to write. It's the best. So if nobody is familiar with it, I'm plugging it big time. It's called <laughs> Bespoke, so A Tiny Christmas Tale. And it's the elusive secret symphony of Giovanni St. John. A secret, a bicycle, <laughs> and a promise. And that's all I'll leave you with. So good. That was a fun one. I love the it. The bicycle and the, the music and the Christmas. And it's on an island. And mm -hmm. thank you and for reminding a, me. You know, there's a black. This is why I got attracted to it the first time is there's a blacksmith in it. And when you came out with this book, I was working at a artisan blacksmith shop. No way. Yeah. Wow. And so every day, all day, I would hear the pounding of the yeah. iron and it was literally the old fashioned blacksmith. That is so like, cool. The forge, really everything. Neat. So I saw yeah. that and I'm like, oh, there's a blacksmith in this. I've got to get it. And then of course my love for the book went way beyond that. So well, thank you. And it is a super fast read. It's very short. It so it's I like perfect. that about Christmas stories. They tend to be small yes. and you can take yeah, them. I think we're so busy. Things. It's hard to capture yeah, a book. I agree. Um, yeah. But this year, my daughter's old enough. So I'm, I think I might make her, force her to sit down. She <laughs> loves to be up and active. And I'm going to be like, you are going to make this a holiday tradition oh, with your mother. <laughs> That's so sweet. Well, she likes to be up and active. The um, There's an audio version of it and I love, love the narrator. The narrator did. Oh, I might have to do that. Yeah. Because then you can listen to it while you're making your cookies or whatever your Christmas there traditions you go. are. See, she would be apt to do that. Oh, see, now you're yeah. getting smart. Now you're smart. All right. I'm going to do that. So everybody go get the audio book if you're active. And if you're there a sloth you like Jamie Jill Wright and you like to sit in a chair all day, <laughs> get the paperback copy. <laughs> oh, fun. Well, Amanda, this has been great. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. This is truly just a joy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Madlit Musings. You can find out more information about Madlit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com. Or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com.